Well, hello everybody, I'm Clay Burris, and it's showtime here in Berks County, Pennsylvania, right here in beautiful Southeast Pennsylvania, Delaware Valley. Folks, we're here every week, whether you, whether you live in Perkyoman, or whether you live in Lansdale, or Jenkintown, or King of Prussia, folks, you're tuning in to us because you know, you know that we're the source for authenticity and truth. We give you a perspective, folks, that you just don't get anywhere else, and uh, that's why you tune in, and you've been tuning in uh, every week, every week at Saturday morning at 7 a.m. right here on 1180 WFYL for the last five years. So thank you very much for tuning in. We're going to jump right into our show here. What's really compelling on everything is watching what's going on right now with the meltdown and the, with the meltdown that's going on right now with the deep state and, and what's happening right now with the, uh, how they're, uh, you know, how they're just going apoplectic, what happened on CNN. What's really interesting is I looked at the, uh, you know, watching some more of the, the Trump um, unmasking of these deep state, uh, these deep state partisan, uh, they're not even journalists, they're, they're just fake journalists. If they were real journalists, we wouldn't have a problem right now because they'd be reporting truth. When they were doing that uh, focus group, they actually got into the focus group. They actually po- pointed out to the point. So when they got to the first guy, because they, they went through the whole thing about eight people, and the first guy, they said, okay, so can you tell me what you think about Trump talking about, you know, January 6th to 2020 election? Can, can we keep talking about, and, and you know, why, why does he keep talking about the 2020 election? And, and the first guy says, why didn't you ask him a question about something about current issues? You keep asking him questions about the 2020 election. He's just answering the question. And they went through the entire room and all these people were Republicans. You could just see how uncomfortable they were with this guy. Because every time he got, he went from the one person to the next, to the next, to the next. Every time he went to the next person, you could see, uh, you could just see the, the, the discomfort with the, with the uh, focus group member there or the participant. And, you know, how they just did not like, they did not like the, uh, you know, the, the questions and, and the line of questions. You know, the disingenuous behavior of these people. It's unbelievable how they are. And again, you know, that. The, the, the left is really apoplectic because what happened was Trump just went after it, okay? So Trump dismantled it, you know, and they were asking these questions, and they went to the group, they asked these, all, every person to the person, so they were tired of talking about it. And a couple of them made comments of, why didn't you, why didn't you ask questions other than that? So in other words, why didn't the, why didn't the, the, uh, the town hall, uh, you know, moderator, okay, why didn't she... Why didn't she ask the right questions? In other words, why wouldn't she? I mean, the audience was asking questions about how do you, how, what's your plan for, for, for bringing energy prices down? And what's your plan for controlling inflation? What's your plan for reducing crime? What's your plan for, uh, you know, for the, for what's happening right now on the border and, and, the, and the, you know, what's your plan there for, for, the, for solving for the border crisis, you know, and, 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 you know, they're going on and on about this stuff. And, and again, and what's your plan for the Ukraine war? And then they just, the, the media just didn't want to have any part of it. So the media asked the question, so that the audience asked the relevant questions and the moderator asked questions about, well, what, you know, what's your thoughts on the 2020 election? You know, do you believe it was stolen? You know, they, they've lost all these lawsuits. And, you know, this is what the audience is listening to. And it's funny because everyone knows, everyone understands that there was discrepancies. I just voted this past Tuesday. Now here in Berks County, we got electronic poll books. Now I voted in those. I went in and voted, and I signed my name with my finger, of course, and it doesn't match my driver's license signature because I signed that with a pen. 
So it's interesting, and you know, when I sign with a pen, my signature looks different than it does when I sign with my finger, as most people. And when I'm signing on a piece of paper, it looks different than it does when I'm signing on a, on a computer screen with my finger. So, you know, you've got all these things, and so the guy knows me. So, I mean, the people at my precinct know who I am. This guy's sitting there, and he goes, oh, Mr. Breach, your signature doesn't look the same. You'll need to do it again. I'm like, okay, well, I am Mr. Breach. You know where I am. Let me do this again for you. And I broke, as I do before I'm preparing, he's turning the screen back to me. I broke my driver's license out and he got all like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see the driver's license. And look at my driver's license. It shows you that I am who I claim to be. And let me sign that again with my finger. And that signature looked worse than the other one. <laughs> okay. Well, he finally let me in the vote. I, I said to him before I went in with my, my ballot card for the electronic barcodes to be uploaded and uh, all that. And I said, you know, these mail-in ballots that are done here in Pennsylvania, they don't verify those signatures, but you're verifying my signature. So what we're witnessing in Pennsylvania is a double standard of chain of custody. In other words, the, the we're, we're witnessing is we actually have in Pennsylvania two standards. If you vote in person, they verify your signature. If you vote by mail, they don't. Now, someone help me understand this, folks. How How is it that our... The reason I call the Pennsylvania Supreme Court the Pennsylvania Communist Court is because the Pennsylvania Supreme Court does not seem that, to think there's a problem with that. Well, our listeners here on this call, on this phone, on, 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 this, on this show right now, our listeners here in Southeast Pennsylvania, we all see it this way. We all understand it to be this way. Anyone on planet Earth who's hearing my voice right now, I understand that there's something wrong with that double standard. So to say it again, simply, when you vote in person, they verify your signature. When you vote by mail, they don't. What's wrong with this picture? We have two standards of signature verification going on. And that is, well, that is unconstitutional. So how is it that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court doesn't have a problem with that? Well, let me help you folks. Because I want to help our listeners understand because there is a bigger picture here. We all know that the Democrats are the ones that vote by mail, mostly. We know that 40% of Democrats vote by mail. We also know about 20% of Republicans vote by mail. So that being said, there's a 20% difference. And because here in Pennsylvania, there's only about a 4% difference in voter registration numbers. So, you know, the Republicans are 4% fewer than the D's, I think, or something to that effect, 4.5%. So with that being said, when you have that large a discrepancy, you don't want to verify signatures on mail-in ballots because it's very likely you're going to have a lot of ballots you don't count. For instance, how many disqualified ballots count of the mail-in ballots? How many disqualified ballots are actually pulled and not counted? Well, we know from our numbers that it's less than 2 or 3%. We know that. If they were to verify signatures, folks, it'd be over 30%. And I'd also submit to you folks, if they were to verify, in other words, if they were to say, okay, they're not signing the envelopes correctly, or they're not following this protocol correctly, or that protocol correctly, in other words, they're not processing the ballot correctly, if they're not doing that, then the rule is they're not supposed to count the ballot. But the Pennsylvania Supreme Court or the Pennsylvania Communist Supreme Court, uh, they're okay with it. Why? Because, well, after all, they don't want to disenfranchise people that are voting. Well, the problem is, I understand not wanting to disenfranchise voters, but what it comes back to is we don't want to disenfranchise eligible voters that are voting. It's the other ones that are voting with 
or the or the busted chain of custody. Because when they send ballots to a home and someone's moved, and that home now gets ballots in for someone else, well, they can process those signatures and they mail those ballots in because they want to. In other words, some activist gets the ballot sent to the house. So the activist can mail in those ballots. They can mail them in. And even though that person might have moved to another town in Pennsylvania and they might have registered the change to registration and all of that, those ballots still get counted. And that other person gets to vote over there in the other place. Believe me, our system is not so so uh, so so intrinsic that it, that, it, that, it, that it catches all that because it doesn't catch anything like that. Our system does not have that as, a, as an issue. So I think it's just our, our system does not catch that sort of voter stuff. And, you know, that, that, that disparity doesn't catch it. Our system, as a matter of fact, uh, misses that. So that's why you have so many ballots that turn up. Like I said, you have so many ballots that don't, that aren't caught because, you know, that, that is really where I've been. So, you know, on all of this. So what we got to realize, and, and again, how it works is that we're not checking those signatures on mail and ballots, and we're not checking those envelopes. So the observers that we have, the election observers, that are, that are supposed to mail all, you know, uh, observe all that and catch all that. Well, believe me, folks, those observers don't even sit close enough to see anything. We know that too. So let's just cut the comedy. And and there is two standards here, and the Pennsylvania Communist Court allows that. But I will say, in spite of all that, in spite of all of that, the Republicans outnumbered the Democrats in Berks County. That's right. Well, we outnumbered the voter registration, but we also outnumbered the turnout. We actually had a higher percentage of Republicans turn out than Democrats, even though they had the mail-in ballots. So I thought that was interesting as well. I wanted our listeners to know that we won everywhere. We're going to win all the ballots. I I did a uh, election night coverage that I do for a local cable channel in Berks County, and uh, uh, they were asking the question about how do you think the Republicans are going to fare on election night? They said, well, we're going to win. And well, you know, what about this? What about? I said, listen, they were asking about the township commissioner. Or I should say the county commissioners. And I said, well, folks, I said, Mark, his name is Mark. That was doing the show with me. I said, Mark, don't worry about it. The Republicans are going to win the, the county commissioner seat and the Republicans will not be reassessing property. So our taxes will not go up and Republicans will not be setting up a brand new countywide health department that'll raise our taxes with all those new employees and all that new overhead. So don't worry about that either. So anyway, make a long story short, the Democrats want more government, Republicans want less government. Um, anyway, so it's just the way it is. And I think when you're looking at it and you understand that the difference between, you know, the difference between core beliefs between the parties, you understand that what they want and what they're looking for. It's just unbelievable. But I wanted to share that with you. And I did want to, I wanted to get into that because I think it's very important. I think, you know, and he, he was asking me questions about the differences between the parties and we can. I mean, I expounded to him, as I'll expound to you folks here today, listening to our show, because you tune in every day to listen to my my pontification of of the issues of the day, and I appreciate that very much. So because you want to hear me, I'll, I'll explain to you what the differences are between the parties. What you see today is not the Democrat Party that was of years past. Um, I was a Democrat 35 years ago. Uh, they're not the same party. They're not the same people. It's not the same and so you we, we gotta understand what what the Jacobins have the Jacobins the revolutionaries that are within the party what are they doing and what have they done these Jacobins folks they have they are turning this party into a, 
a party of of, of well they they want they they want to uh you know they, what they're looking to do is they're looking to to have the the army of purifiers go out there okay and when you look at what happened and you know, you know look the nature of human beings isn't going to be purged, but the Jacobins want to purge the nature of human beings. Okay, Mao Zedong was a Jacobin. Mao Zedong was a revolutionary in China. Pol Pot, Vladimir Lenin—they all advocated for the purging of the nature of human beings. That's right. They want to purge the nature of human beings. You know, they—they they become drunk on their own purifying elixir. That's what happens. So what happens is their revolutions spin out of control, as they did. Mao Zedong's revolution spun out of control. Pol, Pol Pot's revolution and Vladimir Lenin's. And in every instance of these revolutions, these Jacobins burned down the traditions and the constructs. And what happened was, well, first they silenced the, They silenced the, any speech and any notion of free speech, any 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 ideas or any any contradiction to the any contradiction at all to their to their groupthink narrative was silenced. Okay, so the Jacobins went around. And they ordered people to throw off their old thinking, throw off the old cultures, the old customs, and the old habits. So overnight, they were ordered to throw their life away overnight. And then in comes the Red Guard Army of Purifiers. And basically, they'll they'll go around and they'll call out those uh, that are, you know, that are contradicting the, 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 new, the new thinking, if you will. Okay, like I said, what's really relevant today is you actually have people that think, that it's okay, as I stated, that they believe it's okay to raise the prices. I, I think what's interesting, you know, to raise the price of gasoline. They, they don't want to drill. They don't want to drill. They don't want to do any of this. They don't want to drill. They don't want to do any of this. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to silence all of that, that they're trying to shut it down. And so if you want to come out with facts, for instance, if you want to talk about science and how there's only two genders, you will be called out as a hate marker. If you want to come call out these people that that want to teach the you know the tear down the the, the 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 constructive way that this country was founded and how this country was was actually put together because of the the good natures of people, if you will, that the the you know the God fearing people this country was built on traditions and constructs that support family and faith, and these people want to tear all that down. And and basically, they want to demonize you for wanting to hold to those those uh, those traditions and constructs. And that's what the the worst part of about it is, is when you call them out for their lunacy, they want to call you out as being a hate monger, and they want to have a mechanism in place that allows them to do that, like they did in California. They passed a law in California, the law that they passed is creating a toll free hotline that people can call when they're being offended or when their neighbor offends them. Or when their neighbor yells at them, or whatever, you know, they can make anonymous calls, anonymous claims, bogus claims, and it happens all the time. So they're creating their own, their sort of own red, red army. This is what these people are doing, and again, their army of purifiers. Okay, and this is what happened. But see, the Jacobins start with tearing down your thoughts. It goes from tearing down your thoughts to tearing down—I should say—tearing down the constructs and traditions to purging your thoughts or calling them out or having you repress your thoughts so that for fear of retaliation. So you repress your thoughts for fear of retaliation. It goes from that to burning books. It goes from that to burning books. Okay, from burning books to burning people. And it comes right down to this is where they, this is where these Jacobins go. And in every instant, Mao Zedong, there was over 30 million people in China that died. Pol Pot, the 
twenty percent of the of the entire nation was killed in the killing fields. Of Vladimir Lenin, another thirty or forty million people died in these revolutions. This is what happened. Because what happens is not only they become drunk with their own purifying elixir, they become drunk with power. They become drunk with they they then the violence. You know, Mao Zedong said it best. You know, and, and he he described it this way, this way the Jacobins view it. Mao Zedong said, a revolution is not a social event. A revolution is not a tapestry. It's not a party. It's not a dinner. It's not a it's not a social event. A revolution is an act of violence. And so they become drunk on violence and they want it. And so in, in this debate, I should say, this town hall uh, hearing, if you will, that Trump was in, they actually brought up the, uh, the notion of what's happening in the Ukraine. That thought was interesting was they, they discussed the Ukraine and Trump said, well, he would end it in 24 hours. And the first thing out of that reporter's mouth was, who do you want to win? I thought it was interesting. Instead of, instead of being, instead of wanting the war to end and the killing to stop, this reporter was more interested in who do you want to win? I thought that was a very interesting point. So I, I don't want to miss that. I think that, you know, this is where these Jacobins are. And if you want to know if they're a Jacobin, look no further than the killing that's taking place right now in the Ukraine and who's actually advocating for and supporting all of that. They're doing it. They're starting it. They're they're moving on that. So what's really compelling at all of this is we need to realize there's a lot more to it than that. So we're fighting this every day. I mean, we're we're standing against this every day. Uh you know, and then and that's why we do this show. I don't, you know, I, I do this show because our listeners need to get a perspective. They need to understand what the what the battle is, and this is what it is. I mean, what's going on today with the woke revolution is people are being canceled and demonized for their exercise of free speech, calling out, like I said, calling out someone uh, who, who, who uh, a man and woman face, calling that out as being a man and woman face, not a transgender. I mean, when you call that out, you're now being viewed a hate monger. So, I mean, when you're calling out truth, so they're actually looking to, again, silence truth. Now, that's that's really compelling, folks. Don't miss that. See, today's red guards on Twitter and social media, you know, and, and again, it comes down to these these radical Jacobins and, and what they want with their countercultural political activism. And again, they want to burn down everything. They want to conjure up and produce psychological myths as facts. And then they want to promulgate, them, pro- promulgate this in, in our institutions. They want to put this forward, you know, and, and again, they're teaching our children. They're actually teaching our children revolution. I think that's really compelling. I mean, this is what's scary. We're teaching our children revolution, you know, so don't miss that, folks. I mean, you know, you've got you got actual atrocities going on around the world, and they're busy here trying to call out men for being too masculine. And then these are things that they call out here. I mean, what is wrong with this picture? You know, what is wrong with this? You see masculinity and femininity are God's creation. The differences between men and women are God's creation. And I think when we understand that and we understand that we embrace the differences, they they don't want to embrace the differences. They want to call out the differences and shame people for the differences. They want to make you feel ashamed for the differences. What's wrong with this picture? What's wrong for this? You know, we're making laws to normalize and justify these blatant behaviors and and again, uh, you know, and this is what's coming down to, to accept it and normalize it. And anyone that disagrees with this needs to be marginalized or even removed from society. Look, this is today's cancel culture. This is today's Red Army, the Red Guard. This is who these people are. 
You know, and again, uh, the, the truth in our society is just being defined as hate speech and terrorism. I just think that's really compelling. And people are being triggered with truth. You know, you actually have you actually have animals now, therapy animals. Okay, we actually have laws, if you will, that allow restaurants to take in a, a therapy dog. There, you know, I mean, you need an animal with you to help you get through the day, to get through the stress-free day, so you can bring in an animal with you. So you can go into a restaurant now with a dog, as long as you have a note from your doctor that says you need it. You know, and it's really, it's really interesting. You know, but I want to talk a little bit about the global stage of what's going on right now, because Europe right now is going into deal with China. I think that's really compelling. You got, you got Emmanuel Macron, if you will, Macron, whatever his name is. You know, he's, uh, you know, he's out there in Europe and he's trying to make these deals over here. And, and I think that's really compelling. So, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's basically out there trying to, uh, you know, he's basically trying to say, okay, well, we can do this. Okay. And, uh, I just think it's really telling. So, you know, why, why are we doing this? I mean, why is he trying to set up these, trying to normalize relationships with China? I don't understand this part, you know, and this is the thing that really kind of gets me is we, we, we need to understand that. And, and I think what, why is that? You know, why are they, why are they trying to improve their relations with China? Doesn't anybody have fear or anybody have concern here about what's happening with the world? And why, why are we, why are we concerned about this? You know, what's going on with, with, with China? Why, why do we want to improve? We need to be, we need to understand what we're up against with China. And I just think that's really compelling. And then look, I mean, folks, you know, states are doing what they can. Okay. I mean, you get the weaponization of the of the Justice Department. You get whistleblowers. You know that that the FBI disparaging whistleblowers after revoking security clearances. I mean, this is what happened recently. I mean, uh, you get the weaponization committee. I thought it was really interesting. The FBI, uh, the weaponization committee is is going after the FBI for disparaging whistleblowers after they revoked their security clearances. I mean, this is what's going on. You want to know? You want evidence of a weaponized government, government, federal government? Uh, you know. If you want to, you want to, you want to, if you want evidence of a weaponized uh, federal government justice department, if you want that, then you don't look any, you don't need to look any further than what's going on right now with the uh, the House Republicans right now are looking at it with the weaponization committee, and they're checking it out right now. Uh, the government, uh, that the, the select subcommittee said Marcus Allen and Steve Friend, uh, whose security clearances were suspended by the FBI and later revoked were retaliated against for speaking out about their concerns that the Bureau had become politicized. And I think what's interesting is a recurring theme is that the FBI is violating these, violated the federal whistleblowers protection laws and abused its security clearance review process. Again, I mean, it's, you know, to hamstring that the agents who exercise their right to make protected disclosures to Congress who dare to question the agency. This is what's amazing to me. The agency's called calling these people out. They are purging. They're already at work. The Jacobins are already at work purging the Justice Department from these people. This is a real concerning moment here. This is going on. I mean, Acting Assistant Director Christopher Dunham laid out his letter written to the chairman, Jim Jordan, and leaked to Fox News and other outlets in response in response to uh, in response to what's going on. And, uh, you know, again, to the subpoena that the Bureau had revoked the three clearances because of the January 6th related issues. I thought that was interesting. Um, I think there's there's a, there's enough there on that. But but folks, I mean, the Weaponization Committee said in this statement provided to the, you know, I mean, they said in the statement that the FBI was disparaging whistleblowers. And I think that that's, you know, the, the, that's what the Weaponization Committee has come up with. And according to Allen, according to the FBI, 
had espoused alternate theories to co-workers to allegedly hinder the FBI's work related to January 6th, despite being told repeatedly not to do it. The committee contended that Allen based his testimony on all-source analysis per FBI orders and never instructed his colleagues to take any specific action. So the FBI said Friend refused to cooperate in a court-authorized arrest, espoused an alternative narrative about the uh, January 6th download files, and again, from, from an FBI computer under an unauthorized flash drive. Again, you know, it's just that these whistleblowers are coming on there being demonized, okay? And uh, and the FBI, uh, uh, you know, basically restricted their restricted things, restricted these people. And of course, uh, and um, it, they're going after them. I mean, that's just what it is that, you know, they're going after them with criminal acts. This, the, the discrepancies about revoking former agent security clearances comes as a part of the weaponization committee's broader investigation. This is what's happening. And again, these, these revelations are, about the security clearances follow the special counsel, John Durham's releasing a devastating report detailing indicting the FBI. I mean, because the FBI was indicted. We know that that attorney went to jail. Okay, we know that. Don't miss that. The attorney went to jail. When you look at what happened there, that's a real compelling point here. You know, the, the FBI actually went to jail, was indicted on that. You know, the Durham investigation, and that's what's really compelling on this. You know, the Durham investigation showed all of this. Okay, because what you had in the Durham investigation, again, uh, you know, I mean, you had the, uh, you had the, uh, well, what you found out was that there was a link, there was a direct link, okay, uh, between the Brookings Institute and the Clinton campaign and the DNC and the Steele dossier, all, there was a direct link between them all. And this was sold to the FBI with collaborators, so with the FBI, so Comey and Andrew Cabe and Peter Strzok created a back package to sell to the FISA court. They know that. I mean, there's a lot of connections between the Brookings Institute and, and again, which is the number one socialist anti-American think tank in Washington. And again, they're linked between, you know, Obama, and I should say the Clinton campaign, the DNC and the Steele dossier. Igor Danchenko, we know this, was also was was indicted. Uh, He was Fiona Hill's former research assistant, Fiona Hill, Fiona Hill, uh, conjured up that the Ukrainian phone call impeachment fiasco. We remember who she is, okay? Well, she was a White House staffer, okay, who connected Steele to the Igor Igorton. She made she made the handshake between Christopher Steele and Igor Denchenko to allow the dossier to get to the FBI. So she introduced Steele to Denchenko. Okay, that's that's Fiona Hill. So she was connected to Charlie Do- Dolan, a Clinton operative, to Igor Denchenko. So. She also connected Dolan, who was another Clinton operative, to Igor Denchenko. Fiona Hill could also go down there for, she also lied to Congress. I mean, she claimed that she had no knowledge of how the dossier was created. Well, that's a lie. She knows all about it. But I think the indictment of Sussman, who represents the indictment of the Clinton of the Clinton campaign, the DNC, the law firm, and Fusion GPS, channeling tens of millions to create and perpetuate this fraud, Okay, that's Sussman. He was indicted. And again, he took the hoax from Jaffe to the FBI directly to Jim Baker, the chief counsel. Jaffe gave this hoax to Sussman. And Sussman was the lawyer for the Clinton campaign. So Sussman was also indicted. And he was the lawyer for the Clinton campaign. So he was indicted. And Kevin Kleinsmith was indicted. And by his indictment, the FBI itself was indicted. So all of this happened. Okay. And again, they're, they're as guilty as anything. So they're lying to the federal bureau, the federal court with the phony story to get the FISA warrants. This is what they did. They altered reports to prove Carter Page was not, I should say, he, that to, to make it sound like he was not working for the CIA. 
Because if Carter Page was a CIA asset, and if they knew that, the Pfizer court would not have issued a Pfizer warrant. But they made it look like he was not an asset. So they doctored the Pfizer warrant. And Carter Page was an asset. And he would have had those protections. So Danchenko's indictment, okay, let me, again, we have the Danchenko indictment. So he was indicted. And he was Steele's main source. He introduced, again, he introduced Steele to buy, he was introduced to Steele by Fiona Hill. And Steele relying on Danchenko to get the phony information within the phony dossier. What's happening is Durham, again, is getting the, he got this information that was deliberately withheld to the congressional committees. I thought that was interesting. And again, I mean, Kleinsmith could never have pulled this off without help from higher up. We can all know that. Kleinsmith needed help from higher up. All roads lead to Andrew McCabe. Okay, he was the deputy director. Okay, so you have all this going on. And this is what you got to look at. This is what we're trying to understand. Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, was putting at this junk. And again, he was the guy negotiating with the Russians on the Ukraine issue. I thought that's interesting. The guy that's perpetuating this war for Biden. okay? I mean, they're pushing this war out. Instead of trying to end it, they're keeping it, perpetuating it. And so Sullivan pushed this pushed this out from Jaffe, saying publicly on the 16th that, again, that computer scientists, because that's what Jaffe is, he was a computer scientist, discovered a covert server linking Trump to Russia. All of this is a lie, folks, and it helped, again, he helped pitch it to the FBI that the CIA and the DNI because he was a foreign policy expert. So they all understood it. Jake Sullivan helped pitch it. All of these people came together to create this. And this is, but don't miss that. I mean, he got caught mixing a political scheme with the law. And I thought that's interesting. Don't miss that. And he put out, the, put out a post in October saying that Trump was linked to the covert surfer and Russian-based bank. I mean, this is all nonsense. I don't want to miss that. I thought that was very, very compelling. So, you know, when you see what's going on and you see what's happening, and you understand because this is where you're at. This is where we are today, okay? And again, it comes back to, I mean, why is it? Why is it that people still think that there's nothing to this Russia's sham? Or that there was no, there, I mean, again, they, they want to overlook it. They want to overlook the fact that the New York Times and the Washington Post won Pulitzer Prizes for this nonsense. They want to overlook the fact that CNN had lots of viewers cut loose because they realized they were lied to all these months. From CNN, they want to they want to overlook that too. But anyway, I want to get to a Florida lawsuit. So many states are handling stuff because the federal government's avoiding all this, so the, the the states are getting into it. So now we've got a state right now. Montana just said we're gonna, we're going to ban TikTok. I think that's interesting. Of course, this is after the D- Department of Defense has already banned TikTok from their employees. I thought that's interesting. But now Florida's passing a law that's going to basically create public bathrooms to be based on biological sex, again, to protect women. I think that's a very interesting, compelling point. Uh, Ron DeSantis basically is signing that in the legislation. It's designed in part to protect women. So he signs these, legis- he signs these pieces of legislation earlier this past week, again, to fight back against the radical religion of this Jacobin society that we're up against, okay, that wants to impose... Uh, you you know bathrooms to be shared by men and women, okay, men and when men and women face, okay, with with women. You know, one of those legislations was HB fifteen twenty one, ensuring women's safety bill, which it requires public facilities and educational institutions, detention facilities, correctional institutes, and juvenile facilities to base their changing room and restrooms on biological sex, not gender identity. It's already happening, you know. And again, I mean, I, I applaud Florida for doing it, okay. Because whether it's a prison situation or whether it's just restrooms, I mean, we want to make sure that 
girls and women are protected. And I think that's just what it comes back to. And uh, it, may, it, it does just that. It makes sure that they're not going to be exposed to situations that, aren't in, that are not in their best interest. And I just think that's an, that's an interesting point. And again, it extends to the public buildings, including schools, okay, which I think is, this, is really, really interesting. I, I mean, I'm loving that, okay? I mean, he signed several other pieces of legislation. So if there's any question if, this, if DeSantis is committed to America first, I tell you what, he is. And I, I tell you, I know he is. I know he is, okay? And it's really compelling because you've got people right now fighting against that. They're trying to say he's, that's hate speech or hate, you know, he's homophobic or whatever. I don't know. They're, they're just trying to call him out for stuff that's just not right. And that's what I'm really, really amazed at. I want to take a look at the Biden crime family a little bit. I'm just really interested to, to see what's happening here. I think what's compelling on here is the, uh, I think Hunter, Hunter Biden's findings are just the beginning of all this. The House panel investigating the Biden crime family's business deals announced that it already had found over $10 million in payments from, uh, from foreign sources going to more than 20 LLCs set up while Joe Biden was vice president. So I think that's what I think they call that uh, selling access or ag. I think they call that uh, yeah selling access, if you will. I, I just that it's corrupt. It's what it is. It's all corrupt. I mean, but n- none of this is news. I mean, to us, I mean, you know, the bottom line is, I mean, you know, it, it's like what more are they going to find here? Okay, the House House Committee on Oversight and Accountability, uh, you know, has yet to 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 get access to the to records for. Biden's private phone or bank accounts linked to the biggest Biden crime deal of them all, the $1.5 billion investment between Hunter Biden's business and and an arm of the Chinese government. So that's all been withheld. And uh, again, I mean, all of this was secured after traveling aboard Air Force Two with his father, then vice president to China in December of 2012. So all of that happened after 2012, after we went to China with dad on Air Force Two. Again, but the House committee hasn't yet received that document, any documentation related to that business. <laughs> so they're not, they're not yet including the money from Rosemont Realty or, or from uh, BioE Harvest Rosemont, okay, which included the, that $1.5 billion, with a B, billion-dollar investment deal, okay? Uh, it, it's just the, 10, the $10 million figure is going to go up when they, when they count all this. The House over, because they already got the $10 million. So the House Oversight Committee said an investigation so far shows activities of the Biden crime family as associates, okay, that activities of coordination with the Chinese nationals, or I'm just say the Chinese communists, and their corporate entities appear to be an attempt to engage financial deception, right? And again, you know, I, I just think it's really, really uh, selling access. That's what this is all about. And, and again, right as of now, we haven't seen a direct link between Joe and, and all this money, but it, you know, it's still not acceptable behavior. And we can all at least agree on that. We can all at least agree on that. Even though we haven't seen that direct link yet, we all can know that it's, it's not right. We don't really think it's okay for our political families, family members, um, of the treasury secretary and the president and the vice president or the Senate majority leader to start ta- taking in millions of dollars of cash from communists for selling their access. I just don't want to miss that. This is what's happening. And so you, you've got that going on right now with the with the, with the Biden crime foundation, if you will, by crime family. And uh, we're seeing this. And it, it, look, again, it comes back to, as Americans, as Americans, have we had enough of that? I think we have. I think, I think we've been watching enough of it. So, I mean, 
I thought it was interesting too, and I want to get to uh, a little bit on the Democrats. The Democrats are have decided that they are not. They are not. Uh, the Democrats are not going to have any presidential debates. You know, for, I mean, Biden is basically being coronated as the as the guy. Okay, so they're not going to allow Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to debate him. So Dennis Kucinich became his campaign manager. I, I got to tell you, Dennis Kucinich, I can't imagine this guy being a campaign manager for anybody. Uh, you know, I mean, he has no, I, I don't, I, I don't see where he can manage a campaign. He didn't manage his own very well. Okay. So let's just say, put it that way. But I mean, they're trying to find people. I thought Robert F. Kennedy was also on a, uh, he was on a, um, an, a videotape, an audio tape. Uh, it was like a pot. He was basically being interviewed by Megan Kelly and he was on there and you can see the book library. You want, you want to go to Megan Kelly, uh, go, go to YouTube and search Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s interview with Megan Kelly. And he's doing it in front of his book, his books that he has in his house. And I'd like you folks to, to take a look at that interview and, and uh, check out the books behind the, behind him. Check out the books behind him and see what you see. Um, it says a little bit about who the Democrats are. I thought it was interesting. You might want to check out the, uh, the interview. Not so much to listen to Robert F. Kennedy, but to listen to Megyn Kelly, but to get a view of the books that he has in his house, the books that he has in his personal library. Check it out, folks. But anyway, uh, Dennis Kucinis is going to run his campaign. And again, there is no debate. So, I mean, they want to coordinate the Joe Biden, and that's what they want to do. They want to make Joe Biden the guy. Okay, well, you know, Kucinis, look at his time in Congress, led the effort against the Iraq War and the Patriot Act. And I guess, he, you know, there is something there, because I guess he was right on the Patriot Act, because, I mean, the Patriot Act allows the spying where the fight FISA court allows the spying on American citizens. And we all know how the how the FISA court process and the warrant process can be corrupted. We just saw it happen to Trump. So the Patriot Act allowed the allowed our intelligence agencies to be able to target American citizens. And again, that power in the wrong hands. This is what we're talking about. I can I mean we all can agree as I as I thought back in two thousand and one when the Patriot Act came out. I was okay with anything we could do to protect this country from terrorist attacks, going after these terrorists and, you know, listening in on them, creating FISA warrants to go after these people and whatnot, or, or, or people in this country, um, you know, in this country and watching people in this country trying to, uh, you know, uh, figure out who, is to, who, who the risks are, who the traitors are. So I thought it was a good thing. Well, I can say now I'm against the FISA warrants, okay? I'm against it all, Okay. Because I think that's a real important point. I mean, Kucinich, though, is, again, he he's, he seems to be one of those Kennedy Republicans. He, I don't know if he's one of those Jacobins. He just isn't. But, I mean, um, he's, you know, he's, you know, Kennedy bringing this guy in. They, they, he's getting his constituents in place. You've got a lot of people that don't like O'Biden. So now we know that Kucinich is on his team. And I, I just think it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how this goes. Um, now, I'm going to also talk a little bit about what's going on right now. In Venezuela, I mean, you've got Venezuela wants to de-dollarize or de-dollarize Venezuela. Maduro does, and he wants to use Zimbabwe as a role model. Okay, now he's a, a Maduro is a socialist dictator, and again, he he just um, he's looking at at, at, at de-dollarizing the world trade. Of world trade is inevitable. He wants to say that, so he's supporting the de-dollarizing of, of world trade, and that's what he's seeing. Okay. Um, and, and this is what's concerning. So, like Trump said, when you de-dollarize the, the world trade, when you do, when, when the American dollar loses that, in other words, when we, 
when we go from that, that's going to be the most, that'll be horrible for this country. Okay. That'll, that'll be, I mean, that'll be horrible for this country. That'll be, that's the rebirth of a new world order. That's what that is. It's not good. But he identifies Zimbabwe, uh, which uh, introduced a token-based, digital-based currency backed by, uh, uh, backed by gold as legal tender, okay? And uh, Zimbabwe, again, the, the, the issue of, is it, I don't think Zimbabwe should be studied for anything personally, but, but he says the, uh, it should be studied because in the world, many alternative in- initiatives to the dollar are emerging. So the dollar is the, is the currency that the, the world measures up against. And he wants to change it. The one, the one good thing is the gold reserves. You know what country holds like 65% of the entire world's gold reserves? U.S. The U.S. does. Like 55, 60% of all the gold reserves are held in this country. That's a fact. But they'll do what they can to, to do this. And again, they've, uh, um, you know, they, 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 they just want to change it all. They want, to, they want to weaken our country, okay? The American currency that Maduro now intends to part ways with is largely instrumental in holding Venezuela's collapsed economy together. And again, since 2017, the Maduro regime has unsuccessfully attempted numerous times to detach itself from the U.S. dollar, uh, first by attempting to, to launch a currency basket exchange system that featured the Chinese yen alongside the Russian ruble, the euro, and the Indian rupee. And the measure didn't live, it didn't live long past its initial set of announcements but maduro launched his own scam cri- cryptocurrency and uh, the, the petro and one year later the cryptocurrency failed to gain traction and is for the most part only used by the maduro regime to anchor the costs of new venezuelan passports and other kinds of documents issued by the country's public offices again between 2003 and 18 venezuela's socialist regime implemented a draconian currency exchange control mechanisms that forbid Venezuelans from freely trading and utilizing foreign currencies outside of limited yearly quotas that each citizen had to individually apply for. <laughs> I don't want to miss that, folks. That's the truth of it. So it's the complete, uh, it, look, this is a complete collapse of Venezuela's economy. And again, I, I think they, uh, they, they, they're, in a, they're an upside down economy anyway. I mean, but Maduro himself is using the U.S. dollar to set the value of some of the money stipends his socialist regime distributes to users of the Chinese social credit-inspired fatherland platform. Look, this is all anti-American, folks. We need to be running for the hills from this. Our Democrat counterparts, uh, you know, Joe Biden is all in on this. Don't miss that, okay? He's all in on that. And that's the concern we need to understand, okay, that we're all in on it. Okay, so we have a record surge right now going on, 87 times more border crossers than in April of 2020. That's right, 87 times more border crossers. We're going to talk a little bit about the broken border here, folks. I mean, Alejandro Mayorkas uh, announces that a record inflow uh, just a couple of days ago, saying that 137,374 migrants were admitted during the month before the flood of roughly 40,000 migrants through the border in the days before May 11th. The April inflow exceeded the 135,000 migrants who were admitted in April 2022. And Biden's April 2023 uh, inflow is 87 times as many as were admitted by Donald Trump in 2020. Don't miss that. The April inflow number also excludes the roughly 50,000 migrants who were invited to take Biden's parole pathways. I think that's a very compelling point as well. You know, it, it, 
Again, his deputies have admitted roughly four and a half million migrants across the southern borders. And the migration is expected to remain high even after the administration imposed supposedly border rules on May 11th. You know, what border rules? There is no border rules. Biden's deputies want more economic migrants to get through the border despite the huge pocketbook and status damage to the ordinary Americans and their children. Again, they have some twisted U.S. They, they basically twisted U.S. laws to open up a series of doorways to help deliver extra workers, consumers, renters. This is insane, folks. This is all insane. He's trying to say, well, we want more consumers and renters and government clients. To, I mean, they're trying to increase the number of people attached, surgically attached to the to the federal government. That's what they're doing. I mean, Biden's pro-migration open borders. Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is being asked about taxpayer costs of migration. He dodges the question. He argues that U.S. investors should be allowed to hire cheap workers from poor countries. This is what he's basically saying. Well, we should be able to hire these cheap workers. I mean, I just think it's an amazing thing. You know, and, and again, he justifies it. I don't know. Any fifth grader knows that this is not secure. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. What is the actual cost? This is really what's what's this is really, really what's, what's, what the issue is. Mayorkas is, he's just a, a, a Jacob and Zealot before migration, open borders, regardless of the damage to Americans or America. That's just the bottom line. I mean, he tries to claim he has a very clear purpose, you know, because he's a migrant from Cuba. Okay, that's what he's trying to make a claim. My mother was twice a refugee. All right, okay, well, he's going to make, he's going to try to make all these personal attachments to, to his policy. Yeah, the bottom line is, I mean, you know, the open borders are not good. And these people are not seeking political asylum for political p- persecution. You know, these people are coming over here and they're not coming over illegally. They're just open borders. They're coming over in the tent to just, well, I mean, they don't have anything. So they're leaving a country. These are people that live in a country and they don't have anything. And many of them are, are already engaged in some illegal activity because they're trying to make some sort of a living somehow. So this is what they're doing, okay? This is what they do. Now, what are they going to do when they come here? Are they going to get a job laying tile? Are they going to get a job, you know, building a bridge someplace? Are they going to get a job on a road crew? No, no, no. They're going to engage in the, in the trade practices that they're familiar with. And what are they familiar with? The law-breaking that they just left in the country that they of their origin country. So this is what increases crime here. When you bring people over to this country that are already engaged in some illegal activity, it's very likely that it, that that illegal activity is going to be engaged in here as well. And this is what we're seeing right now. Okay, again, that think of the effects that this is having on working Americans and the wages of 10 million more people who shouldn't be here competing for their jobs. You know, I, I, I have friends that are in the landscaping business. I can tell you right now, there's so many people that are available in landscaping right now. There's so many people that they're making half a minimum wage. Okay, they're, they're, they're making half of what you can get to work in fast food restaurants because they're able to. There's such a saturation of untrained labor in the, in the in, 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 in landscaping, you know, cutting grass and trimming trees or whatnot. So this is what we have right now in this country. And that's if people do get a job. If people don't get a job, then these people are, are basically um, setting themselves up as to be, go back into the trade of their profession, their chosen profession, which is, well, I mean, what they're familiar with, which again is the law breaking. So this is how we in, this is how we import crime. We're also importing people that, oftentimes, I mean, these are the the worst vaccinated countries in the world. So these people are coming over with tuberculosis. They're coming over with 
polio and other infectious diseases, smallpox, uh, other diseases, they're coming over, not to mention the COVID strains or whatnot, but they're coming over right now with these illnesses and they're sharing them with people in this country. So there's a health concern as well. Why are we doing this? And Americans and, and the listeners on the show understand this. And this perspective was not talked about on that town hall on CNN. Because all they could talk about in that town hall with Trump on CNN was all they could talk about was, okay, um, you know, uh, do you think that the election was stolen? Uh, what's your what's your thoughts on the on the uh, uh, the civil suit that was just against you that of the jury of your peers and whatnot and how they demonize these people? It's horrible what they do to these people. And it's horrible how they how they push all that through. And so we got to understand we, when we're looking at all of this, we got to realize that we're seeing most of what we're seeing right now is is we're seeing people that are just that are just you know they they, they don't know well they, they don't they, they're trying to get a perspective they can't get because the media is not doing their job. And you'll watch that town if you watch that town hall, you see exactly what I'm talking about. And again, it comes right back to what I'm talking about. Why isn't the media talking about the, the cost of, of this illegal activity, the cost of this of, of, of this open border policy? Why aren't they talking about it? You know, the population inflow reduces the political clout of, of Americans as well, okay, because it, it dilutes things. And when they, when they become voters, and they do, because many of these states allow them to get driver's licenses, they get a, an illegal citizen can get a driver's license, and now they're saying, okay, well, you can also vote in you can also vote in, in local elections. So these people are going out voting in local elections. I mean, they're, they're diluting the vote of, of American citizens by allowing these these illegals to vote. And I just think that that's very, very compelling. And I'm just amazed at that. And I think that as we look at it, we understand that there's a lot more to it than this. And we just have to realize that there's, as Americans, okay, we have to know that this is what's going on. So I just I just want to make sure where our, our listeners understand this, because I think it's a very compelling point. And I think that as we look at the, 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 the results of the of the policies of the left and how they're affecting us, we can know and we can understand. And this is where we're at. This is where we're at, folks. I mean, this is and when you look at poll after poll after poll, it shows that Americans getting tired of the open border policy. And Alejandro Mayorkas, he should be impeached. OK, along with Merrick Garland with the No Justice Department, he should be impeached. OK. I mean, it's just amazing. I want to talk a little bit about, about uh, John Fetterman. Now, John Fetterman is a uh, he is a senator here in Pennsylvania. I think for people that know, uh, John Fetterman also had, uh, I think, a couple of strokes. He's also a man suffering from depression. All of this was kept from the voters uh, as they were voting with mail-in ballots. So the Democrats did not realize this man had a stroke and he suffered from depression. Okay. Well, now we have this incompetent guy. This this man that. Uh, you know, this, this man that wants to, that to deny science who believes there's 50 or more genders, okay, this is the guy. What kind of public policy can people who believe there's 50 genders can come up with? Well, anyway, what's interesting is uh, Jeff Stein uh, is a Washington Post reporter, and he apologized after he was caught quoting Fetterman's prepared remarks instead of, instead of Fetterman's actual statements during a Senate banking committee hearing. So Fetterman returned to the Senate again after taking a two-month leave of absence to deal with depression. So, and again, and, and he suffered from a stroke. I, I personally think he had another stroke. That's what I think. But whatever. He speaks incoherently. Okay, that's the bottom line. So he uses closed captions devices to understand what others around him are saying. So Stein misquotes Fetterman in a tweet sent on 
last week, despite including the, the despite including a video of Fetterman's line of questioning in the tweet. So he says you shouldn't have had. So so Stein attributed the following to quote following quote to Fetterman. Shouldn't you have a working requirement after we bail out your bank? Republicans seem to be more preoccupied with SNAP requirements for hungry people than protecting taxpayers that have to bail out these banks. So this is a statement that Betterman had written down, but he did not say it himself. So social media users quickly noted that Stein's quote did not match what Betterman actually came out with. Okay. And I mean, what did Betterman actually say? Okay. So we can look at that and you can understand so, you know, that the, you know, the, this, it's just amazing to me. Okay. And, 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 you know, Fetterman, cause he's not coherent. He's not coherent. Okay. He doesn't speak with these. So his statement, you know, what didn't match. Okay. So he, he issues an apology. He says he tweeted the quote provided them to him by the Senator's office while checking against the video. He goes, I'm sorry about that. My bad, my fault. You know, it, I just wanted to capture the meaning of what he wanted to say. Okay. So, look, the, the reporter doesn't verify talking points. Democrat politicians give them. So that's the bottom line. But but he should have listened to it because um, it really is. I mean, what what was said and what was stated are two different things. And Fetterman's ramblings, again, because Fetterman just, the way Fetterman handles it, that's just the way it is. Fetterman does not make coherent sense, okay? And uh, that's the tragedy of it. Because if people heard Fetterman, they would understand that Fetterman doesn't make sense. And uh, they would understand that Fetterman is incapable and he's incoherent and he doesn't, he has no ability at all to, to, to relate to, to, well, to what Americans go through every day. Just like that town hall moderator, she had no idea on how to relate to what Americans go through every day. And I just think think it's compelling. We just need to understand that. Well, folks, we have to leave it there. I want to thank all of our listeners for being with us today and for tuning in, for tuning in again as they do every Saturday morning, right here on AM Radio, 11 AWFYL, to listen to our distinct, compelling discussion. Thanks for being with us today. Folks, see you next week on The Point. I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.